Well, hey, we're in the middle of a brand of a series right now called Who is God? And uh, we've been looking at the different characters of God, the different attributes of God. And uh, last week we talked about the love of God. And, uh, and our desire for us today, and our desire for the series, is for you and I to get to know him more. Because I believe this, the more that you know God, the more that you love him, and the more that you love him, the more that you want to serve him, the more that you want to obey him and to live for him. And I believe that. It starts with knowing who he is and knowing God. And I've also said this, that as far as you go spiritually, it's how far you go with God. So the deeper your relationship with God, the deeper you are spiritually with your life. And so today I want to look at God, who is our righteousness. The Lord is my righteousness. And some of you might be saying, Scott, you know, righteousness is kind of a churchy word. What does that mean? And uh, the word righteousness, if you're taking notes, by the way, you've got pens in front of you in the chairs. You can see it kind of hidden, but there's pens. There's a secret pen, the secret location. You can find it. If you want to take notes, here's, here's what righteousness means. It means to make right or to make straight. To make right or to make straight. And here's the deal. If you look at the story of God all throughout the scriptures, what you're going to see is that God is always right. And I know that a lot of us here, we have a lot of stuff going on in our lives, and it makes you question, what is God doing? Now, what is it that's going on in my life? Why did it happen in my life? And I want you to know, that we need to anchor our lives in the truth that all that God has done and that all that God has said is right. He's always, God always walks on a straight path. He never veers to the right. He never veers to the left. He is consistent. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. He is infinitely holy. He is pure, without blemish. He is absolutely perfect. He is our righteousness. Now, the opposite of righteousness, if you're taking notes, very simple, but we need to say it, it's sin. Sin. Sin is the opposite. Not only is God opposed to sin, but he literally cannot look or be around sin. This speaks to the holiness of his character. The, the Lord is our righteousness. Now here's the deal. All of us here have walked away from God at some point in our life. We've all walked away from God. I remember when I was a kid, probably five, six years old, some of you might relate to this story. You know, you get in trouble, you know, you get the spanking or you get into you know, you were grounded to your bedroom, and you're upset, you know, because in your little mind, you know, you think you're right when you're wrong, you know, but you think you're right. And so you tell mom and dad after the punishment's over, I'm running away from home. How many of you ever done that? All right, all right, some of us have. And, you know, my, my mom and dad, they, they helped me. They said, you're going to run away from home? Okay, where, where are you going? 
And I, you know, that kind of took me by surprise. I thought they would be kind of like beg me not to leave. And uh, so I hadn't even thought about where I was going. I said, well, I don't know. I think I'll find a new spot in the neighborhood. I said, okay, well, let me help you pack. <laughs> right? And so you pack, and, 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 and because I've seen it on cartoon, I get me a nice little giant knapsack, right? You know, and Dad goes and finds me a nice wooden stick, you know, and Mom packs a candy bar, some potato chips, and she says, what else? You know, what else are you missing, Scott? Hey, have you packed your underwear? I said, no, I haven't packed my underwear. I better do that. And pajamas. So I got my pajamas. And he said, what about your toothbrush? And, and now I'm, I'm wondering, I think my parents want me to leave. <laughs> so I pack everything up, you know, and I, I put it, you know, a nice little ball, you know, and, and on a stick. And mom and dad, they're standing at the door. They're like, bye, son. We'll see you later. And, and I'm, I'm like, Sad, moping, got my stick, and I'm thinking, these, my parents don't love me or something. I don't know what's going on here. I turn around at the, at the end of the driveway, and they're still smiling. <laughs> See you later. I think I hid for about 10 minutes behind a tree, opened up the bag, ate the candy bar. You know, got some good out of it, right? And I come back home, right? And so we've all done that. We've all have ran away from God. Run away from God. We've done that. I want to look at the story of Jeremiah. And if we look quickly at the life of Jeremiah, it's about, at this point in the story, he's about 20 years old, you know, some kid in a college dorm room, you know, maybe playing Xbox 360, playing some Halo or whatever game he's playing right now. And, and all of a sudden, God interrupts the conversation, interrupts his life, and he says, hey, hey, Jeremiah, I need you to put down the joystick. We need to have a conversation. And Jeremiah's like, oh, okay, what do you need me to do? And he said, I need you to go to Jerusalem. Now, Jerusalem is a happening place. It's a happening place, a lot going on. There's entertainment, there's commerce, there's business going on. It's a hustling, bustling place. But on the flip side of the coin, Jerusalem at one point in their history was very connected to God. They were very committed to who God was. And so God told Jeremiah, he said, Jeremiah, here's the deal. They have walked away from me, the whole city. The children of Israel, the Israelites, they have walked away from me. And, and what I want you to do is I want you to go back into that city with some boldness. I want you to look at everybody's eyes. And I want you to tell them that they've sinned and that they have walked away from me and ask them why they've walked away from me. And here's what you have to understand about Jeremiah. You see, he is known as the weeping prophet. Because whatever broke the heart of God broke his heart too. And in Jeremiah chapter 2, we see Jeremiah, he's walking into the city, this young 20-year-old kid, right? And he's scared. He is, he's a little terrified because he's going to go in and confront all the leaders. And he's going to tell them about their sinful ways. And he's going to hold them accountable. And, 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 and as he's walking in, I believe that Jeremiah, it, it, it hits him. It hits him. And he realized, man, what happened to the city? The city that was created by God, it was, that was promised by God, that was so committed to God, what happened? Heartbroken. And he gets in there in the city and says, hey, I need everybody's attention. And all the people are looking at like, who is this young punk? You know, what has he got to say? 
And he, they started to listen to what he's talking about. And he's speaking for God. And in Jeremiah chapter 2, and verse number 2, Jeremiah said this. He said, this is what the Lord says. I remember how eager you were to please me. And notice the past tense in this verse, the past tense language. He said, as a young bride long ago, how you loved me and how you followed me even through a barren wilderness. And look at verse number four. He said, listen to the word of the Lord, people of Jacob, all you families of Israel. Verse five, what did your ancestors find wrong with me that led them to stray so far away from me? They worship worthless idols only to become worthless, worthless themselves. Jerusalem, I mean, they were connected with God at one point in their history. I mean, they would grab paint. And on the doorpost of their homes, they would write the word of God. And then if you walk in the house, they didn't care about the resale value of their house. They'd take paint, and they would paint the scriptures on all the walls. Because they wanted to be so connected to God. They were with him, and God had brought them out of slavery, out of Egypt. When they were hungry, God gave them food. When they were thirsty, God gave them water. They were with God every step of the way. They were connected, super tight with God. And Jeremiah says, why? Why? After all that God has done, why have you all walked away from him? What happened? And I'm reading Jeremiah this week. I've been reading Jeremiah in my devotion. I've been diving through it the past few weeks. And I'm thinking, man, I can't believe these guys walk away from God. What were these people thinking? I mean, they had the power of God. They've seen the power of God. God doing all this incredible stuff, and you just pack your bags, and you just leave, and walk away. And all of a sudden, as I'm thinking about Jerusalem, it hit me. It hit me in the gut. Because I said, man, this is not a story of Jerusalem. This is a story of Scott Blanchard. This is our story. And some of you can relate to this. We forget what God has done for us, and we have walked away. We've been made in the image of God. We were made by God. We were made for God. We were connected, and we all have walked away at some point in our lives. Maybe for some of you, it's complacency. You just kind of got complacent. Things got busy. You know, the, the, the kids, they take over the house. They're swinging, the, you know, on the chandeliers, you know. And, and you're thinking, okay, God, tomorrow I'll read I'll spend some time with you tomorrow. I, you know, I'm too busy. And then the next day happens, you say the same thing. God, I'm too busy. I'll do it again tomorrow and tomorrow and tomorrow. And the next day, finally you wake up one day and you realize that God is so far. You have walked away. You have wandered away from God. What used to be a burning fire inside your soul is now a smoldering heap of ashes. Walk away. Maybe for some of you, you didn't just veer to the right a little bit or veer to the left, but you took a hardcore right, and you went into sin, 
a sin that separated you from God, even right now. I don't know what it might be for you. It might be addiction. It might be a lack of purpose. You know, it might be some abuse that you went through and you just don't know how to deal with it and you're frustrated. I want you to know this. That there is a holy God standing before you today. And he has his arms wide open. And he's saying, why have you walked away from me? Why? Why have you walked away? And he wants you to know that he loves you. He cares about you. And he's saying to you right now, please, come back. Come back to me. And some of you might be here this morning. You say, you know what, Scott, that's me. I have walked away. I've been complacent. I've been lazy. I've been struggling with the sin. And I want to get back on the path of righteousness. What do I need to do? I'll give us three quick thoughts here this morning. And as we talk about these three thoughts, I want us to be thinking about what Christ has done. Because we're going to be, at the end of our service this morning, we do our communion. We'll talk more about what communion is. But we're going to really talk about everything today. All the music, everything we've done today is to get our hearts and mind on communion and the sacrifice what Christ has done for us. Here's three quick thoughts here. Number one, recognize you're a sinner and your need for God. Recognize your sinner and your need for God. Better yet, your need for a Savior. Now, my wife and I, uh, we love to watch crime show TV, crime show television. Now, we like to watch Law and Order, and um, we like to watch Chicago Police. How many of you like to watch those kind of shows? You like watching those kind of, yeah, Karen and I, we watch it. We used to watch CSI. Remember the CSI series that came out? They don't make them no more. You know, they had like three of them. I think they had CSI Las Vegas. How many of you are a CSI Las Vegas fan? Okay, we got some of you. How many of you are a CSI New York fan? We got some CSI New York. Okay, we got a couple. My wife and I, we were CSI Miami. I mean, there was just something about this guy named Horatio. Remember Horatio? Okay. I mean, he'd come out of his, he would step out of his H2, his Hummer, you know, and he's got his sunglasses, and he knows how to pull them out. <laughs> the guy's squinty eyes. And I, you could tell I practiced, okay? I practiced this. I'm not, I can't ever be as cool as Horatio. And uh, so we'll, we'll put the glasses back on. We'll never do that again for you. But man, Horatio, man. And, and here's what I love about Horatio. He'll pull out his tape measure, you know, and, and he'll pick up the fibers from the carpet, you know, swab for DNAs. He'll collect all the evidence. You know, he'll, you know, take a picture of the tire tracks, you know, put a plaster, make a plaster out of the footprint. He goes, and they've got the computer database. And here's what I love about it. In one hour... In one hour, he had collected all the evidence and created an airtight case against the guilty. I mean, I don't know why it takes the court system so long, but Horatio can do it in one hour. It's amazing. And so we see this in, you know, in Jerusalem, in the Jeremiah. Jeremiah, he's grabbing all the evidence. He's building a case against the guilt of Jerusalem. He's collecting the evidence, the fiber out of the carpet, you know, swabbing for the DNA. He's got it all together, and then he brings it to God. And by the way, what are they guilty of? I mean, they're guilty of running away from God. They're guilty of 
worshiping other idols in the shadow of the temple of God. They're, they're practicing a prostitution ring in the tabernacle. I mean, we're talking about corruption, sinful nature all around. And so, God, you know, so Jeremiah, he cuts all the evidence and he brings it before God. And he said, God, I've created an airtight case of, of, the, of evidence against the guilt of Jerusalem. And, and God says, you know, yes, they're guilty. He pounds the gavels. Yes, they're guilty. They're my people, and I love them, but they are guilty. He, and by the way, there's another high-profile case going on this week. The high-profile case. And it's happening right now. A lot of DNA, a lot of evidence, a lot of forensics happening. It's all coming together to create one airtight case of guilt. But this time, the suspects are you and me. You and me, we are the ones that are guilty. By the way, there are some of you, you have raised, and I believe many of you have raised your hand. You've asked God to sit on the throne of your life. You've asked him to come into your life to be your Lord and Savior. And when you've done that, he has erased your guilty plea. But there are some of you here this morning, I believe, and you're here, and you're checking out this God thing. You haven't asked God to sit on the throne of your life you don't know what God's word says. You don't know. You don't have a personal relationship with him. But we're guilty, the Bible says. The Bible says that we are guilty of sin. And the punishment is that we are separated from God. Psalm, one four, I'm sorry, Psalm 14, verse number 3. The Bible says that all have turned away. All have become corrupt. There is no one who does good, not even one. You're here. You don't have a relationship with God. You're checking it out. I want you to know that there is nothing that you can do on your own to earn a relationship with God. It doesn't matter how good you are. It doesn't matter how hard you've tried. We're going to fall short every time. Romans 3.23, the Bible says, for all of us have sinned. And we fall short of the glory of God. We have fallen short of, the, of God's mark of perfection. And in, in Romans 3.23, it creates a visual image where we're standing here and God is standing over here. And in between us, there's a great chasm. There's a great divide all because of sin. We've all come short of God's glory because of the chasm in the middle. And some of you, you're desperate for peace in your life. You know how all hell's been breaking loose in your life. Things are falling apart, absolute chaos. You're going through so much and you want peace. But God is the one and the only one who can give you that peace. And you turn to him and when you turn to him, you look down, you see a chasm between you and God. There's some of you here that you're looking for healing, maybe emotional healing, maybe from that abuse that you experienced and that ungodly experience that you went through. And you went through that experience. And you're looking for healing, emotional healing. You're looking for a touch of God. You turn to him, you look at him, but you see that there's a big divide between you and God. There's a chasm. 
But some of you, you're looking for the, what, the purpose of life. You're, you're looking for, you know, God's purpose. And you might be wondering what that is, why you're here. And I'm here to tell you that God is the purpose. God is the reason for life. And I say, look to him. And if you look to him, there's a problem. There's a chasm right here in the middle. Because we've all sinned. And we have fallen short of God's glory. But I love Jeremiah because he steps up to the plate. You see, when we read Jeremiah, there's a lot of doom and gloom. Okay, Jeremiah said, hey, it's going bad for you guys. You're all sinners. If you don't turn around, God's judgment is going to come down. But peppered throughout the book of Jeremiah is hope. One of the most hopeful verses that we can find in Jeremiah found in verse 20, chapter 23, verses 5 and 6. He said, for the time is coming, says the Lord, when I will raise up a righteous descendant from King David's line. He will be a king who rules with wisdom. He will do what is just and right throughout the land. And this will be his name. Our Lord is our righteousness. I mean, sinful Jerusalem have a chance to say the Lord is our righteousness. You see, over 2,000 years ago, God took himself out of the heavens. He put on human skin, born as a baby, and he walked on this earth. Hebrews chapter 4, verse number 15. But we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses. But we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet without sin. What an amazing story. You know, God coming to the earth, and it doesn't make sense, all of it, because he came as 100% God and 100% man. Here he is, totally God in every sense of the word. You see, what are you struggling with right now? I want you to think about that. What are you struggling with right now? God has everything. God has dealt with everything you've ever been through. That pain, God felt your pain. That issue of temptation, God felt it. He's been there. God's done it. He came to this earth to take your sins away. He wants your pain. He wants your addictions. He wants the abuse that's happened to you. He wants everything that's happened to each and every one of us. He came to earth. He took it upon himself, upon the cross. He did it for you. He did it for me. He stumbled to the cross. He was executed for your sins and for mine. He was the punishment for your sins. And three days later, as we're saying this morning, death was arrested because he came back from the grave. And he's standing before you today in that chasm as a bridge to man and to God. He stands there with arm wide open. He said, I've died on the cross for you so that you can have a way to a relationship with God. And I remove, I can remove your guilt if you will come to me. We need to recognize that we're sinners. And we need to recognize our need for a Savior. And here's the second thought. You need to confess your sins to him. 
confess your sin to him. Proverbs 28, verse number 13. Whoever conceals their sins does not prosper, but the one who confesses and renounces them finds mercy. It's so simple. But you've got to put it all out on the table. Everything. The good, the bad, and the ugly. Give it all to him and say, God, I confess my sins to you. Will you please take it away from me? And number three, know who you are in Christ. Know who you are in Christ. When Christ comes into your life, you become a child of God. And the Lord becomes our righteousness. We need to say, I'm the righteousness of Christ. We need to claim that. I am the righteousness of Christ. Again, what does that really mean? That means that when you gave your life to Jesus Christ, and this is so amazing, this is so cool. When we gave our life to Christ, God took his righteousness. He took his holiness. He took his perfection, and he deposited it deep in the core of your being. Some theologians, they call this the doctrine of imputation. In other words, God imputed his righteousness to you. 2 Corinthians 5, verse 21, God made him who had no sin to be sin for us. He's talking about Jesus. God made Jesus who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. So here's what it means to us. When God sees you, he doesn't see the hurt. He doesn't see the chain. He doesn't see the, the addiction that you struggle. He doesn't see the guilt. When God sees you, he sees Christ. He sees what he has done. He sees the sacrifice that he did on the cross. When he looks at you, he sees his holiness. When he looks at you, he sees, God sees his perfection because he has given you his righteousness. But so many of us were struggling, we hear the lies, we're not good enough, we're worthless. You, and you're a follower of Christ and you've forgotten that you are the righteousness of God that you were made by him. You, you are something because God made you special. God made you unique for his glory. Don't listen to the lies. That's what God sees when he looks at you. He sees his righteousness. We'll close with a story. A shepherd was telling a story about two sheep that were given birth at the same time. Got mama sheep right here and the mama sheep over here, and it all happened all at once. Mama sheep number one gave birth to a baby lamb, and the baby lamb didn't survive the birth. Over here, the mother sheep gave birth to a, a healthy little baby lamb, but the mother sheep did not survive. And so the shepherds, he sees a very sad mama sheep over here, and he sees a baby lamb that's now open. And he's wondering, how can I feed? Or how can I help this little baby lamb to survive? And he said, you know what? I'm going to bring 
give baby lamb over to the mother that just lost her baby and see if that she would give the milk to the newborn babe, the newborn lamb, you know, so that this lamb can survive. And so he took that little baby lamb, brought it over to the mother's sheep, and you could tell that the mother's sheep over here that just lost the lamb is in mourning. And when she saw the, the shepherd bringing this little baby lamb over, the, the mother's sheep rejected, rejected this lamb. It wasn't hers. This was not her lamb. She didn't want to have anything to do with it baby lamb over here. And the shepherd's like, what am I going to do? I've got a baby lamb that's going to die of hunger. He needs the milk. She had milk that she could provide for this little baby lamb. And then he thought of the most orthodox or unorthodox idea he ever had. He took the, the dead baby lamb, his skin, the baby lamb that was dead, he took that little baby lamb skin and he placed it on that little baby healthy lamb, covered that healthy baby lamb. And he said, man, this was the most awkward sheep I've ever seen. This little baby lamb now had two heads, had two tails, and he's got eight legs. And he said, you know, I'm just hoping that this might work. And he brings that little baby lamb with the two heads Two tails, eight feet. Brings it over to the graven mama sheep. At first, the mama sheep, she's kind of like, what's going on here? What is happening? And at first, she wouldn't take it, but then as she looked a little bit closer and examined this little baby lamb, began to smell and to see her own baby lamb that had died. And from there, that mother sheep accepted the healthy little baby lamb and gave him milk for survival. All because he didn't see that baby lamb that was alive. He saw the baby lamb that was hers. You see, when we receive Christ and his righteousness, God put on us his perfection, his holiness, so that when God sees you, he sees the sacrifice of his son Jesus. Bible says in Isaiah 61, verse number 10, I delight greatly in the Lord. My soul rejoices in my God. For he clothed me with garments of salvation and arrayed me in a robe of righteousness. He did that for you. Let we get, uh, prepare our hearts for communion. We think about the sacrifice that he did so that we can have the garments and the robe of salvation. And I don't know what you've been through. I don't know your pain. God says, here's your robe. I don't know what your addiction you've been through, but God says, Here's your robe. I don't know what you've been struggling with, but God says, hey, my friend, here is your robe. Put it on. And if you're here and you don't have a relationship with God and you desperately want peace and you're hurting for the healing in your life, know this. Jesus Christ 
He's standing at the door. He said, come home. Come back to me. I love you. I know you're guilty. But my love is bigger than your guilt. Come to me.